I'll invite you to stand with me this morning as we begin reading in Romans chapter 1. We'll read the first seven verses together this morning. The letter to, of Paul to the Romans says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and holy scriptures, concerning a son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. We begin this morning a journey through the longest epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote that we have recorded for us in the New Testament. If you're looking at the letters of Paul, they begin here in Romans. And they are arranged by their length, if you uh, were not aware of that. Since I have been your pastor, we have journeyed through uh, the letter to the Galatians and also the letter um, to the Ephesians. Um, And we are going to um, take quite a bit of time to go through this letter. I want to encourage you that as you have to miss a Sunday for one reason or the other, that that you should go during that week and spend a little bit of time listening to the sermon as it's online and, and keeping yourself called up. This is an important letter because, one, it is written to an important church, the church at Rome, a church that at this time Paul has never visited. It is not a church that Paul started, unlike many of those that he wrote a letter to. This letter is unique in that Paul is not writing it to correct some wrong that is going on in the church as he often does with his letters. He finds something that they are doing that needs to be corrected, an area where they are deficient, and he writes a letter of correction. The book of Romans is not like that. In fact, it's been called by one theologian Paul's manifesto. It is his great presentation of the gospel. This letter is written in preparation for Paul's upcoming visit. He has planned at the time that he is writing this to travel through Rome on his way to Spain, which will be his next mission field. This is his longest of passages we're looking at this morning. His longest salutation of all of his letters, and Paul is unique in his writing here because most letters, as you can imagine in the time that Paul is writing, are very short. It's kind of like our day in sermons. Very few words and not saying very much. That was letters in Paul's day. Very short, a couple sentences. But Paul's letters are long. This letter is his longest and he has a lot to say as he lays down his message of the gospel. 
He puts out this letter, as we're going to see this morning, as a servant of Christ. It's with a servant's heart that he gives this letter to this church at Rome. Though he's never been there, he has great affection for these people. He's encouraged by them. He's excited to be able to go and spend time with them and meet many of these believers for the very first time. They have heard of Paul, no doubt. They know who he is and they know his mission. And he writes to them to lay out this very in-depth study of the this very in-depth study of the gospel. This idea of servanthood that is woven through the Old Testament, Paul now presents himself in that same vein as the prophets of old, giving this, this message to these people that they might know who Christ is and what Christ has done. I want us to think for a moment, as you have probably done many times in your life, if you apply for a job, you're going to to look for something different or maybe you're out of work and you're looking for a job and you find a posting for this job and it describes the characteristics that your employer is looking for. So maybe you need to have a certain level of education, maybe you need to have a certain level of experience, maybe you need to have a skill set. Paul begins his letter by almost describing the qualifications he has for the job. And I want us to see these this morning because I think they're very important for us. Because the unique thing about this, this letter and the unique thing about what he writes for us here are there are these characteristics that are going to be prevalent, these characteristics that are going to be present in those who follow Christ. So if you apply for a job this morning, if you go somewhere and you're looking for something, the employer is going to tell you what you must have to have the job, correct? So... Uh, if you want to be a, a brain surgeon, so you start looking for brain surgeon jobs. I don't know if they post those on Monster or Indeed or somewhere like that. Frankly, I don't want a doctor who got their job off of, you know, Monster.com as a brain surgeon, but whatever. There's going to be certain characteristics, correct, that they're going to look for, that, that you're going to have to have that must be present for you to get that job. There's going to be certain things that you're going to have to have done. So, for instance, a brain surgeon, you're going to have to have a certain level of education. You're going to have to have a certain level of experience. Those things are going to be necessary. Trust me, if you don't have them, they're just not going to look at your resume. If I go today and apply to be a brain surgeon at, at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, they're simply going to throw my resume away. It's nothing against me. It's, it's nothing like that. But that's simply there are things that must be there. Well, what's interesting about what Paul tells us in these first, four, uh, first seven verses as he's commending himself to the people there, as he's talking to them, as he's telling them about the gospel, is he gives this list of characteristics that must be present in a servant of Christ. They must be present in one who is called by Christ. But none of them, none of these characteristics are things that the person had to be called by God. None of these things are things that were innate, that were intrinsic within someone for them to be called by God. 
All of these characteristics that I want us to look at this morning in these seven verses, all of these characteristics are things that God gives to us, God places in our heart when He calls us. Now why is that important before we even look at them? Because they prevent us then, because He gives them to us, it prevents us from making excuses it prevents us from saying, well, well, I don't have that. I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. Why? Because God gave them to you. He's well aware that you're unable and incapable of doing them. That's why he's given them to you. And so if we're called by Christ, they're going to be there. So unlike a job that we go and apply for where we've got to have all the stuff, God is calling us this morning. If you are in Christ, God has called you into a wonderful relationship with Him, but He has given us some things because He has called us. So this morning, we are going to see three characteristics of a person called by Christ. There's no doubt that Paul was a person called by Christ. If you remember what happens to him in the book of Acts, he is walking along the road going to Damascus. In fact, on his way there, his purpose is to persecute the church. He is going to make sure that Christians are either imprisoned or are killed because they are followers of Christ. That's the journey he is on. That's his purpose in life. And as he is going there, Christ meets him on the road to Damascus and radically changes his life. Christ saves him at that moment on that road to Damascus and tells him that his purpose is going to be for the gospel. And so he was called, clearly called. And if you're in Christ this morning, you have been clearly called. And so let us look then at three characteristics of a person called by Christ. The first we see there in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. A person called by Christ is set apart for the gospel. The first characteristic is that a person called by Christ is set apart for the gospel. It doesn't matter this morning if you believe that you have the most important role in the kingdom of Christ, or you believe you have the least important role in the kingdom of Christ, if this morning you claim the name of Christ, it is imperative that you understand that you have been set apart for the gospel. So you once were in your sin, you once walked in sin, you once were consumed and driven by sin, but you have been set apart out of that group You've been set apart out of uh, the group of sinners, out of the domain of darkness, the Bible describes it. You've been taken out of that, and you have been set apart. And that part we often understand, but if you look at Paul's writing here, you're not only just set apart, but you're set apart for the gospel. You're set apart for the purpose of the kingdom. Paul says that. Paul says that I am a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. So what does this look like? What does it look like to be set apart for the gospel? Well, the first thing we see there at the beginning of verse 1 is that you're set apart as a servant. Every person who has ever been set apart by God, every person who has ever been saved by God has been set apart as a servant. 
We can't say, well, well, that's not really my gift. I, I don't really have a, a servant's attitude. I, I don't really have that, that mindset in, in, in my life. That's not really what I do. Well, that's a problem. Because that's the only option you have. Serving is, is not some spiritual gift where, well, some people have and some people don't. Christ specifically says in Mark 10, 45, that his purpose was to serve. Not to be served, but to serve others. And we're told throughout Scripture that we're to have the the mind of Christ, that we're to imitate Christ, that we're to follow Christ. Well, guess what? He was a servant. So you don't get another option. There's not like a servant class of Christians and then, you know, some other people that get to sit around and be served. That's not how it works. The, The goal of a follower of Christ, the goal... The attitude, a characteristic of one who has been set apart by Christ is to be a servant. Paul begins that. And he he has in mind here, again, many, many Old Testament ideas where the the great prophets of old, the the leaders of old, the, the Moseses and the Davids of the Old Testament were described in that same manner. He's placing himself with them that the idea here is that he is a servant of God, a follower of God, one who submits to God and does the will of God and is at God's beckoning call, is at God's service. That's who we are. If you this morning have claimed the name of Christ, if you have been set apart by Him, you must understand that you have been set apart as a servant. There is nothing higher in the kingdom. You can't be set apart to a a higher ambition. You you can't have a higher role in the kingdom of God than that of a servant because that's, that's it. Because that's what Christ had. That's who Christ is. That was Christ's goal. That's what Christ said he had come to do was to serve. So a person called by Christ is set apart as a servant. A person called by Christ is also set apart to a kingdom role. So we're first and foremost a servant, but then Paul acknowledges that he has a role in the kingdom. What does he he say? He says, called to be an apostle. So he has that very specific role as an apostle. An apostle was one who had been with Christ, who had seen the resurrected Savior. You can drive down the road here and you can see that there are places in our community that say they are led by apostle so-and-so. They're not. I'm sorry. We can debate bishops if you want because of how that word works in the New Testament. Guess what? Apostles doesn't work that way. None of the churches around here are led by apostles so-and-so because they didn't walk around with Jesus. They're not giving us inspired words in their writing. They may think they are, but they're not. And so the apostle was was a very specific role in the kingdom. And Paul, in that role, understood that it came with great responsibility. He had some that even questioned whether or not he was an apostle. But he clearly was. He clearly had that role. He clearly had that giftedness. And that came by his calling. When God set him apart, God did not set him apart simply as a man and he became an apostle. That was, his, that was God's intended role for him, was to have that position in the kingdom of an apostle. The question, though, for us this morning is do we realize 
that as we have been set apart by Christ, that he has set us apart for a specific role in the kingdom. What, what role are you taking in the kingdom this morning? What, what role are you playing in the work of Christ's kingdom? Are, are you actively participating in the work of the kingdom? Because if you have been set apart, there are no roles in the kingdom where you're simply set apart to sit and do nothing. That role doesn't exist. Look it up. Look up, you know, Read the Bible for yourself. It's in English. Find that role and you can take it, but it doesn't exist. It's not there. And so he set you apart as a servant, as a servant to the kingdom, as a servant to others, as a servant for the sake of the gospel, but he has set you apart to take on a role in that kingdom. Now, if you say, preacher, I, I don't know what my role is. You can find me after the service, and I'll put you to work doing something. We got a long list of stuff that needs to be done. There's a lot of lost people in our community. There's a lot of kids that need to hear about Jesus. There's a lot of work that needs to be done for the sake of the kingdom. We can find you a spot. But that requires some self-examination. Are you taking on an active role in the kingdom work? Because Paul realizes that as God saved him, he saved him to that position of an apostle, and he had to take on then the responsibilities that came with that kingdom role with that responsibility. He had to take it on and he had to do it. And so the question for us this morning, do we realize that as we have been called by God, as we have been set apart for the sake of the gospel, we have a role in the kingdom. And then finally, the last part of that verse, a person called by Christ is set apart for the gospel, specifically set apart for the gospel. What does that look like? He's a servant called by Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. What does that mean? That means if, if Christ has saved you, he has saved you for the sake of his gospel, for the sake of his good news. In other words, you have the, this responsibility that has been placed on you to exemplify the gospel to a world that is lost and dying. To, to share with them, both in your words and in your actions, what Christ has done for you. To go to these difficult places, whether they be across the street or across the country or across the world, and share with them what Christ has done. He didn't save you. You, you notice here, there's, there's nothing here about saving you for heaven. Do you see that here? I'm not saying it's not present in the Bible. I, I don't want to misconstrue that, but, but is it here? It's about now. It's about the work of the kingdom now and being saved for that. Friends, it's a false presentation of the gospel to simply tell people that they're wanting to be saved from hell. That that's what Christ wants, is to just save you from, from hell. It's a false presentation of the gospel because the gospel is so much bigger than that. God has work to do now and so often we share with people what, what they can do and how they can prepare for eternity and how they can be ready for the life to come. 
But we never, we never impress upon them the necessity of the, the Word of God now, the necessity of the good news of Christ now, and how they can have an effect on the world now. Paul's entire life, everything that he is doing is, is dedicated to spreading the gospel of Christ. Even in his work, because Paul has a regular job, he's bivocational, he goes out and he has to do work during the day, he has to do things to provide for himself, he doesn't live off of someone else's money, he has work to, to do there. But what does he do in that? Why is he working? When Paul is working, when Paul is doing his job, why is he doing that? For the sake of the gospel. I put back a lot of money, or at least it seems like a lot of money to me, in my retirement. And, you know, it's, it's not so I can get 65 and, and go hang it up. It's because I want to put enough money back that one day I don't need to have income from anyone else. I can leave probably this country, go to another country, live off what I have worked and put back for, for the sake of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying God's calling you to do that. But at the same time, when you, when you go to work tomorrow, are you working for the sake of the gospel? Are you living day in and day out so that other people might know Christ? Because Paul says that's a characteristic of someone who's been set apart. That's what he does. He realizes that his whole life is consumed with the gospel. So a person that is set apart is set apart for the gospel. Look at the second thing. A person called by Christ is clear with the gospel. So not only is a person called by Christ set apart for the gospel, but a person called by Christ is clear with the gospel the gospel what does he say verse 2 talking about the gospel which he and christ which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from david according to the flesh if you want to be clear with the gospel first the first thing a person called by christ is clear with the gospel they are clear about the old testament Do you understand much about the Old Testament? You say, what's well, hard? Yeah. But some of you have really complicated jobs where you do really complicated things and you make really complicated things and, and you, you teach complicated things. And, and don't tell me the Old Testament is hard. You just got to put in the work, right? Again, let's go back to the brain surgeon. Brain surgery is hard. Do we agree? Brain surgery is probably hard. In brain surgery, it is very easy to kill the person you're operating on. It is very easy to give them some type of permanent disability. It's easy to mess up their memory. It's, it's all those things, correct? It's hard. But when we go and need a brain doctor, a brain surgeon, a neurosurgeon to remove a tumor in our head, we don't want to hear that it's hard, right? We want to hear that they know what they're doing. We want to go in and sit in front of them and know that they know what they're doing. 
They did the hard work, that's fine. But, well, friends, for, for us, if we've been set apart for the gospel, it means sometimes we've got to do hard work, and that's going to require sometimes we've got to work in the Old Testament, and we've got to read some things and learn some things. That's why, as your pastor, you're always going to see me preach from the New Testament and the Old Testament and go back and forth. We've covered many psalms since I've been here. We've had a series in Deuteronomy. I've preached through Joel and Zephaniah and Jonah. All of those, we have done that. We have been teaching through part of Genesis on Sunday nights. Why? Because it is important for you to know the Old Testament. And over the last couple weeks, there was a a pastor, quote-unquote, who was talking about you know, the Old Testament basically being irrelevant, not needing to go there. That's a prominent view. There's a lot of pastors in our area never going to preach from the Old Testament. Why? Because it's hard. People might not understand it. They don't see the relevance to it. Friends, if you do not understand the Old Testament, you're never going to understand Jesus. Paul, in the second and third verses of his longest and maybe most important letter that he writes, appeals to the Old Testament. He says Jesus was promised beforehand through God's prophets. And we know this, why? Because we just heard about it? No, because of the Bible. He says the Holy Scriptures. He's speaking here specifically about the Old Testament because there is no New Testament when he's writing. He says we know about Jesus that He was promised beforehand because God told us through the prophets in the Old Testament. We know that He was descended from David according to the flesh. Why is that important? Because David is the greatest king of Israel. From David it is promised that one would come who would save the world. Friends, if you ignore the Old Testament, because it's hard, you didn't know that. You don't know the promises about Christ. You don't know the importance of Him descending from King David. That's irrelevant to you. And it's irrelevant to a lot of people, and that's fine. It can be irrelevant, but you're never going to have the knowledge that you can have about Christ, and you're never going to understand the good news of the Gospel if you haven't looked in the Old Testament. Because the good news of the Gospel says this, It says that we were created in the image of God, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. It says that we fell in sin, Genesis 3. But even in Genesis 3, there begins this promise. This promise that God is going to save His people. And that continues on through Genesis, through the rest of the Old Testament. And then we see that promise that He describes here in chapter 2, fulfilled when Christ comes. If you want to be clear about the gospel, you've got to talk about what happened before the Old Testament. People don't like to talk about that. They don't like to talk about the fall. Listen, friends, if there was no fall in Genesis chapter 3, there is no reason for Christ. God is just this mean guy up in the sky who sent his son to die. He just is mean and angry. We have to be clear about the Old Testament. The second thing, we have to be clear about the divinity of Christ. Verse 4, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Declared to be the Son of God. Do you remember at His baptism? God speaks. He declares that at the transfiguration that we read about. God comes, listen to my son. 
God declares to the world that this is Christ, the Son of God. This is who Jesus is. Friends, you, you, you've got to believe that. But not only that, because I, I, I suspect that most of you do believe that, but you've got to be clear with that. So, so friends, it, if Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, if he says that no man comes to the Father except through me, what does that mean? Well, that means that, that, that everyone else is wrong. Now, that's not popular. That's not going to get me any friend. Not, I don't care. Not worried about that at all. Y'all know that. It's not even like a good example for me to give that because y'all just know. But, but it's not popular to say that. But friends, what that means is that while Muslims and Hindus and Sikhs and Buddhists and atheists and agnostics and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons are all created in the image of God, and He loves them enough to send His Son, that the path they have chosen is wrong. Because He is the exclusive way in which a person can have a relationship with the one, one Creator God of the universe. And that's declared in the divinity of Christ. And Paul says that here, that, that God has declared Jesus as his son. And he, we see it in these other passages, but he appeals most specifically to the resurrection. By his resurrection from the dead, he says the spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit declares him the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. In other words, when God raised him from the dead, it was a declaration of the divinity of Christ. He is the Son of God, the one and only Son of God, the only way to heaven. Friends, we have to be clear with that. So we have to be clear about the Old Testament, what God has promised before, about the fall, about creation. We have to be clear about the divinity of Christ. And then the third thing there, we have to be clear about Christ-centered salvation. We have to be clear about Christ-centered salvation. Look in verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. Christ is working to bring about salvation throughout all the nations. And we as his followers, we as those who have been called by Christ, must be clear that salvation is centered on Christ. It is not centered on you. In fact, I think the Bible is very clear that Christ did not save you for your sake. Christ did not save you by your work. He did not save you by your merit, but salvation is Christ-centered. What does that mean? That means our salvation is by Him, so we didn't do anything about it. We didn't do anything to earn it, but our salvation is also for Him. What does He say at the end of verse 5? To bring about obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. 
Salvation is always for the sake and the name of Christ. So not only is his salvation completely dependent upon him and what he has done, but his salvation is, is for him. So that by your salvation, by my salvation, glory and honor is brought to Christ. Now, you and I get the great benefit of that because we get to be called a friend of God. We get to be called a son or daughter of God. We get to be joint heirs with Christ. We get to receive all the rights and privileges that come with having a relationship with Christ. We get the promise of eternity to come. I mean, we look at the deal, and it's, it's really good for us, especially with the first part, that we didn't do anything to get it. But even in the end, with all the great things that we receive as privileges of salvation in Christ, it's still not about us. God, God shows great favor toward His Son in our salvation. God exalts His Son in our salvation. Because when we get to the end and we're standing before God and He looks at us and, and we can't get in based on our merit, we can't get in based on anything we've done, He looks at us and it brings glory and honor to His Son because His Son got us in. His Son got us into heaven. His Son reconciled us to the Father. It's God's Son that gave His life for us. It's God's Son that shed His blood for our sin. And so in the end, when we're standing there before God, and we're kind of we're cowering back because we understand our, our infinite sinfulness before God, it's the Son who is there receiving glory and honor and praise. Even on that day when God is welcoming us into His family, it's still to the glory and honor of Christ. Friends, that's the salvation we need to present you know, today there'll be literally millions of Muslims who will complete part of their pilgrimage to Mecca. One of the, the five pillars, one of the things that's required of, of every good Muslim is to do that in their lifetime. And, and they see that as something, as a badge of honor. Something that, that shows that they have dedication to their God. But friends, here we are standing before our God with nothing. And yet the thing that we can do to, 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 to bring him the most pleasure is to, is to not go and walk around somewhere. It's, it's to not fulfill these, these obligations. It's to turn and say, he did it all. Christ paid it all. All to him. I, I didn't do anything. He did it all. Friends, we've got to have that mindset with, with our view of salvation. It has to be Christ-centered. Not only did he do it all, but he, he, he has it all. He receives it all. All the glory and honor and praises to him. And, and he, it is for his glory that he did this salvation. It's for his glory that he poured out this love toward us. Christ 
loved the world. God loved the world that he sent Christ for us. But in the end, it's all for the glory of Christ, the name at which every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. He's given him the name above every name. And that has to be in our view of salvation. Then finally, we have, we're set apart for the gospel, we're set apart to be clear with the gospel. And then finally, a person called by Christ is committed to encourage others with the gospel. Encouraged to, or we're committed to encourage others with the gospel. Paul does that. This whole letter is a giant encouragement with the good news of Christ. Friends, some of these messages that we're going to have over these next several weeks are uncomfortable. When when the heading in your Bible says God's wrath on unrighteousness, there's how do you find that encouraging? And yet, Paul's letter to the Roman church is a letter of encouragement in the gospel. And we, if we are in Christ, if we have been set apart by Christ, are to be committed to encourage others with the gospel. First, we encourage by reminding them of God's calling. Look in verse 6. Including you, he's talking about. He says, the sake of his name. He says we, we have been saved for the sake of His name. He says including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. When you think about encouraging someone, do you often think about encouraging them with the Gospel? Because so often we encourage them by saying, well, it's going to be alright. Or I, I've been down this road before and so I, I think it, it, it'll be okay. You're, you're going to make it through this. This too shall pass. But if you thought about encouraging them with the gospel, because that's exactly what Paul does. He encourages them by reminding them that they have been called by God. Friends, yes, we know you're going through a difficult time. You're you're going through persecution. You're going through hardship. But don't forget, you have been called by God. God has called you out of darkness. He has called you to His marvelous light. What could be better than that? And if you're dealing with hardship, what, what can be worse to outweigh the benefit of being called by God? We encourage them by reminding them of God's calling. Next time... Friends, you have the opportunity to encourage someone who is a believer in Christ. Don't miss the opportunity to remind them that regardless of what it is, God has called them to Himself. When when you're dealing with someone who is in the last moments of their life, there are so few words that are appropriate. But it is beyond appropriate to remind them that God has called them to the safety and security of His arms. And what I've found as I've sat with many people who are about to depart from this life is they most often encourage me with those same words. They know what is ahead. God is reminding them in that moment of His great calling in their life, calling them out of sin, calling them to an eternal hope with Him. And they're about to see that hope. It'll be hope no longer. It'll be sight. It'll be their real 
existence. Let's not miss the opportunity to encourage with the calling of Christ. But, but second, we encourage them by reminding them of God's love. Look what he says. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Friends, it is great for people to know that we love them. And we are able to show that in many different ways. But friends, how good it is to be able to remind someone that God loves them. We can do this with believers and unbelievers alike because while a person still has breath in this life, God loves them very much. And His salvation is still available for them. And so let's not miss that opportunity to encourage someone with the love of God. We remind them of God's love because there are times in our life when we are down and desperate and forget how much God loves us. Have you been to that point? Maybe at a point where you're stuck in your sin, where you're far from God. Friends, at that point when we are talking with someone who has ran far from God, they do not need us to tell them that it will get better They do not need us to tell them that this too shall pass and all that. They need to be reminded of God's love because in that point, it is their only hope. And when they are far from Him, they need but turn and He will be there for them. And then the third thing, encourage them by praying for them. Look what he says in verse 7. End of verse 7. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he prays there. He has this closing moment of his salutation where he prays. He prays that they would have grace. He prays that they would have peace and that it would come from the Father. Friends, you want to encourage someone? Pray for them. I mean, in that moment, pray for them. We, we all will say that, and I trust that we are consistent with that. I hope that when we say we will pray for you, that we do pray for that person, we should do that. I hope we will. But friends, stop and pray with them then. It, it shouldn't be embarrassing for us to pull a brother or sister aside and pray for them in that moment. Pray that God would do a mighty work in their life, that God would give them comfort in whatever they're going through, that God would lead them to make the right decision. Whatever the the situation is, if they've confided in you and you say, I'll pray for you, pray for them. Just do it. Do you think the Apostle Paul said, "Uh, I'll I'll pray for you guys. See, See you later. You don't think he would stop whatever he was doing? And pray for that person that came to him and said, said Paul, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this in my life, or I'm fighting with this in my life, or, or my, my spouse and I are having problems, or I'm having a problem with my, my child, or, or we're just, we're, I'm worried. In their day, it wasn't maybe stuff like that. It was stuff like, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm concerned that when the time comes for me to die for my faith, that I'm not going to have the courage to do so. Because that's who Paul's writing to. Because remember, it's not long after this, he goes to Rome, and that's where he's killed for his faith. Pray. Stop and pray for that person. Pray for them that God would work in their life. What a great encouragement that is when we just stop and pray. 
When we pray before we do something, when we pray in a difficult time, friends, just stop and pray. Do that as an encouragement. A person called by Christ is committed to encourage others with the gospel. Encourage people. So I wonder this morning, do you claim to have been called by Christ? Is that a claim that you have made in your life? That, that, you, that you are a Christian? You've called yourself a Christian? You have been baptized? You're a member of the church? You have committed yourself in that way? The question is, does your life reflect that calling? Here are three that we have had this morning. Three characteristics that are characteristics of a person called by Christ. We are called and we live out the gospel in our midst. We are called by Him, and the gospel is at the forefront of our mind. We spend our time in encouragement. We know and understand what God has done for us. We want to take time to study His Word so that we understand who He is and what He has done. Does your life reflect the calling that Christ has placed on your life? Friends, if you do not know Christ this morning, you have heard the gospel that we are created by God, that we have fallen into sin, but He has sent His Son to redeem us from that sin. He calls on us to turn from our sin and to believe the gospel. If you have never believed, let me promise you that Christ is calling out to you today. He's calling out to you through the preaching of His Word. He is calling out to you through His Spirit working in your heart. Today is the day for you to turn from your sin and believe the gospel. It's as simple as that, as, as complicated as it is, it is as simple as that. Turning from your sin and believing the gospel. But friends, most of you know Christ. You claim Him. Does your life reflect this calling that He has placed on your life? If not, then today is the day not tomorrow, not next week, not when you get older, not when you get your life together. Today is the day to live out the calling that Christ has placed in your life. Today is the day that the gospel has impact on your life, that it changes your life daily, and that you live for Him. Friends, if you don't know Him, today is the day to respond. But if you do, today is the day to live out your calling. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the day you've given us. We're grateful that we could spend this time together. That we could, God, look at your word. That you would speak to us. God, we're grateful. God, my prayer is that each one of us would be committed afresh today to living out our calling. That we would be committed to living out the gospel in our life day in and day out. God, that our commitment would be to your kingdom and to advancing your kingdom. God, to taking it to those who have never heard, to taking it to all nations, to taking it, God, to our neighbors, to taking it wherever we go, the gospel goes with us. God, I know in a 
a crowd the size there are folks here who have never trusted in you. God, they hear your calling, but they have never responded in faith. God, I pray this morning that all those who are lost, you would speak to them this morning and call them to yourself. God, that you would call them, God, that you would turn, you would cause them to turn, God, you would cause them to believe. Lord God, as we leave here in a little while, help us to live out your gospel. God, guide our hearts and lead us as we go. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a final song this morning. I want to give you the opportunity during this time to respond. To respond to the message of the gospel that, that today, if you've never trusted in Christ, you can come and He loves you so much that if you will turn from your sin and believe, He will save you. He has promised us that. But friends, if He has saved you, today He's called us to live out our calling. He, he, has, he has impressed upon us the necessity of living out the gospel in our life. If that's something you've struggled to do or something you've never done and you want to start doing, I would love to pray with you. I want to encourage you with prayer this morning. Others want to encourage you as you come and, and pray at the front. They will come and pray with you to encourage you to live out the gospel. Imagine what that would do in our church, in our community, if our commitment was to live out the calling God has placed on our life. If God's speaking to you this morning, whatever way he's speaking to you, I just hope that you'll respond as we sing together.